Well, oftentimes, um, the Sunday before Thanksgiving, so a week ago, it's kind of traditional for pastors and churches to preach about being thankful. You know, and I've done that myself a number of, of other years, where I'll take that as a time to talk about giving thanks. And I guess really we kind of did that um, on the Tuesday before Thanksgiving, when we had a third Thanksgiving service here. It was great. We had an awesome time where I let you basically do the service. People filled out in advance all these Thanksgiving cards, reason to be things they were thankful for in this last year, and we just worshipped and I read testimonies. And it was just just a great time. And, and so, so we did that, you know, just giving God praise and, and glory for the goodness that he's doing. But, but this year I wanted to do something a little bit different than I've done in the past. But I wanted to take the Sunday after Thanksgiving to talk about being thankful. And I had a, what in my mind at least is a strategic reason for wanting to do this. The reason that I wanted to do it this way this year is because I don't want giving thanks to ever be viewed by any one of us as an event, as something you have on the calendar for one day. Now, I so appreciate the Thanksgiving holiday. Matter of fact, I could say, the older I get, the more it's becoming maybe my, my favorite holiday. Just the whole time designated, set aside, to give thanks to God for his, for his goodness. But I would never want us to think of giving thanks to be an event. It's just a day in a calendar. I want for us to think of of this rather as not just one day in a year, but rather I want us to think of that one day on the calendar to be a launch pad for us. It kind of sets our course for the coming 12 months and says, I want to live a lifestyle of giving thanks. I want to live my life in such a way that with my mouth, and with my actions, and with my attitude, I just live in this realm of giving thanks. And, you know, we have so much to be thankful for. And we talked about that on Tuesday, all the wonderful things. And there were so many. I couldn't even read all the cards. We didn't have time to do it. There were so many wonderful things from the story. And the cool thing is, we, you know, we didn't have to steal Thanksgiving things from other churches or other people. You know, we didn't have to say, well, we heard in China this is happening. We said, no, in Port Washington this is happening. And we have so much to be thankful for. But as I was thinking of that, I was, I was thinking of a, of, a, of a reality or kind of a clash that's going on in our world right now. And the clash is really this, that, that we live in a culture where we have so much to be thankful for, yet in our culture as a people, and I'm not just saying the church, I'm saying kind of as, as who we are as Westerners, as Americans. We're, and maybe it's because of political problems, or maybe this is the reason for political problems. I'm not sure, but we live in a culture that has so much to be thankful for, yet we seem so much more focused on complaining and fighting and criticizing than on giving thanks. You know, and this culture of complaining and criticizing instead of giving thanks, I can honestly say this. If we live in that, if we fall prey to it, it will literally suck the spiritual vitality right out of your life. You know, and I know this to be true. I know it's real because I can have a tendency to go down that path. I can and I do at times get caught up in that, let's just see the problems and fix the problems and miss the stepping back and just being amazed at the blessings. And, and we can fall right in line with the culture around us. But here's what I know. God has something so much greater, better 
for his kids. God wants his followers to be people who live lifestyles of thanksgiving. And you see, God knows what people in the field of psychology or psychiatry are just now beginning to figure out. And I read an article about this and I thought it was pretty funny because they're figuring out what God knows. And it said this. It concluded from these, from these doctors that the healthiest attitude that a person can have is an attitude of gratitude and thanksgiving. And they said it's the healthiest that they are that they're finding through research and looking at people that people who live with an attitude of thanksgiving are physically and emotionally more healthy than people who live lifestyles that are marked by complaining and criticizing. And not only are they finding that they're physically, literally physically healthier, they're also finding, and this is a subjective thing, that they rate their lives as being happier. That they are happier than people who live their lives looking at the negative. They're happier and they're healthier. And we know this. We're kids of God. God wants us to be healthier and happier. Right? So one of the needed components for a happy and a healthy life is living a life of giving thanks to God. You know what I... I came across, as I was thinking about this and and just doing some research about this, I came across an interesting story recently on how one group of people cultivated a lifestyle of giving thanks. Now, I found it on the Internet, so it means it has to be true. And the reason I preface this is when I read this, I've never heard this before. And I'm wondering if any of you have ever heard this story before, because I would think I would have. But it came from a Christian source that I'm hoping, and I had no way of really checking if it's real. But, but the story said that the pilgrims, not the original first couple year pilgrims, but the, the pilgrims, the group of people that, that settled the first settlers in America, that they developed a custom sometime after the very first years when they had settled here. That those very first years um, were, were incredibly difficult, where many of them died, you know, we look at that, we all celebrate them. No, most of them died. They starved. At one time, a ship came, it was supposed to bring supplies. It brought no supplies. Instead, it brought 35 more people. So they already had no food. And so these people were barely hanging on to life. They were starving, um, right on the edge of starvation. And that after they had come through that, that the pilgrims developed a custom of before they would have a meal, that they'd want to give thanks. And that what they would put on the table, and it didn't say they did it all the time, but they said for Thanksgiving um, in, in meals to give thanks. And it didn't say it was an annual thing, so I'm assuming the way it said that it was a, a regularly practiced event. That what they would do is that each member of the family, would, in, on its plate, when they were seated, before they would sit down, there would be five kernels of corn placed on every single plate at the table. Has anybody ever heard this before? Somebody did just make it up. Okay, somebody said they heard a couple people. Chris, if you heard it, it's got to be real. Five kernels of corn, principal of the school. They know everything. So five kernels of corn put on a plate. And that what they would do is that before they would get started, every person had to pick up a kernel of corn off of their plate and tell something they're thankful for. And the symbolism of the five kernels was because they were recognizing the dire straits of the people who came before them and established their colony, that at one point, at their very worst, when they were literally on the edge of starvation, that the daily food allowance for each person 
was only five kernels of corn a day. And so that to remind them of what they had and where they had come from, that they would start this meal off by having just empty plates with five kernels of corn. And they'd all pick up a kernel of corn and say, this is what I'm thankful to God for. Well, I'm hoping that that really happened. Because it serves us today in doing something. You know, I want to use that idea of five kernels of corn on our plates to look at five things that we all have to be thankful for. And, I, and I, I know it's a little different sermon than I normally preach because I normally wouldn't do something about five things. I usually talk about one thing and over five weeks talk about five things one a week. But I wanted to look at this in kind of a big picture today and look at five things that we all, and I use that word on purpose, all can be thankful for. No matter who you are or what you're going through, whether 2014 has been the greatest year of your life or the biggest struggle of your life, No matter what, all of us can be thankful for these five things. Five things that we can be thankful for every single day. Matter of fact, these are the important things. These are the real life things. You know, you can have, you know, you can have something come into your life and say, oh, I'm so thankful that I got this item. And next year, this item is just something you throw in the trash. That's unimportant. But these are the big things. So when I had a, if I had a plate in front of me, that's what I tried to think of. If I had a plate in front of me, And I tried to say, God, what would be the the five things, if they had five kernels, what would be the five things out of everything there is that I could say, God, here's a kernel that today we should give thanks for. And so five things. So if today, the first kernel. If I was to pick up the first kernel off the plate, I would say, you know what? We can all be thankful for the fact of God's love towards us. We can all be thankful of the fact that God loves us. You know, we quote a verse all the time. Matter of fact, people say it's the most well-known verse in the Bible. And I, it's from John 3:16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. We know that verse. It's pretty good. That, that we come to, to the Father through the Son, that God loved us so much that he gave his Son, Jesus, to the world to die as a sacrifice, to pay for our sins so that we can be forgiven. But that, that verse serves for something else as I was thinking about it. It says, for God so loved the world that. And I wrote it down on a piece of paper. I said, for God so loved the world that. And I put colon and a line after it. And, and I think it's accurate to say this. That you could fill in the blank with everything and anything good and wonderful that God has ever done for us. That for God so loved the world that. And every good thing you have in the world would flow out of that statement. Everything flows from the fact that God loves us. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 7, it just says this simple phrase, God is love. It's, it's, it's describing the nature of God. It's saying that's who He is. And what we find from Scripture is the only reason we exist is because of God, because God is love. Think of this. In love, or because of love, God created us to be the objects of His love. Imagine, He created us in love so that He could pour out love upon us. That in love, God created us to be the objects of His love. And in love, God provides for us and blesses us and cares for us. 
that kernel of corn, the first one you have to, you'd have to pick up, you'd have to say, you know what I'm thankful for? I'm thankful for the fact that God loves me. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the Apostle Paul tries to express what love looks like. And he says things like this. You've heard the verse before. God is, you know, for, love is patient, love is kind. You've heard that usually at a wedding. You hear it. And since God is love, and Paul here is trying to describe what loves look, look like, it would be completely correct. It wouldn't be a disservice to Scripture at all to replace in that verse the word love with the word God in order to describe what God is like, because God is love. And doing that could help us to see God more clearly, to understand really how much He loves you, what He thinks about you, that when He looks at you, how does He feel and how does He act towards you as this loving God? And if we did that in 1 Corinthians 13, it would sound like this. It would say, God is patient. God is kind and is not jealous. God does not brag and is not arrogant. Does not act unbecomingly. He does not seek his own. Is not provoked. Does not take into account the wrong suffered. Does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. Bears all things, believes all things. God never fails. That's a picture of God's loving character expressed towards you and me. That's a description of the God who loves you. And I'll be honest with you, this is something that I, that I meditate on every day and I think we should meditate. Meditate meaning just percolate in your mind. Think about every single day. To be amazed that the God who created the universe actually loves you. God loves you. Each and every one of you in here today, and maybe some of you, have never really heard that before. You've never really believed that before. God honestly, actually loves you. Doesn't want you to be any different. He loves you. Today, just because He created you in order to love you, He loves you that much. In the mornings, every morning, or most every morning, I try to never leave the bedroom before I have a time where I call my morning confession. It's a prayer time. And the very first words I pray every day, I say, thank you, Lord, that you love me unconditionally and that you want the best for me. That I start my day off every single day, that those are the first words that I try to meditate on. And remember and give thanks to God for that God, you love me unconditionally. I don't have to earn anything. I couldn't earn it if I tried. So the first kernel of corn, in my opinion, has to be it's amazing that God loves us. But let's pick up another kernel because we have five of them to look at. And I know that's dangerous for me because you're going, we're going to be here for 100 years. I'm going to be brief on them, okay? Let's pick up another kernel, kernel number two. And look at another thing that all of us should be thankful for, or can be thankful for. And I mean it that way. At first in my notes I wrote should, and I crossed out should, and I said can. Because it's not about just what you ought to do or should be. This is about what we get to do. We can be. It, it affects, it's for all of us. And the second kernel of corn, I would say off the plate, would be I'm thankful, we're thankful for the fact of God's forgiveness. That God forgives people. Grab your Bible with me. 
Turn to Psalm 103. Psalm 103, David is instructing God's people about how to bless the Lord. See the very top of there? It says, praise for the Lord's mercies, a psalm of David. Um, What he's doing here is he's instructing God's people about how, or leading them as an an example, of how they should express, express thanksgiving to the Lord. And then the psalm, what he basically does is he goes through a list of different qualities of God and activities of God that people should thank Him for. They can thank Him for. And he just begins, it's a a prayer, his own prayer that he puts on uh, on paper, saying this is how you would bless the Lord, this is how you would thank the Lord. And the very first thing that David points out is in verse 3 that he says, and this is the reason, this is a thing to bless the Lord for or to thank the Lord for. And he says this, verse 3, he thanks Him for who pardons all our iniquities. Then he restates this and expands on it in verse 10. Look at verse 10. He's basically talking about the same thing. He said, He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. Have you ever taken any time to really think about what he said, what this says here? Because it's not an unusual thing for the scriptures to say. That when we call out to God and we seek his forgiveness, that He always forgives us? That He always pardons us? That He does not, and this is the way to me that that makes it so crystal clear what He's saying, He does not deal with us according to our sins. In other words, He doesn't treat us as we deserve to be treated. You know, we all love justice, right? And we all think other people should be held responsible for what they have done. That person did this to me and and they ought to get their just reward for it. But I'm so thankful that God pardons me. Right? We love to judge everybody else by their actions and us by our intentions. So we want to hold them accountable for what they do. But for ourselves, I say, hey, I I want to be pardoned. I'm awful glad that every time I go to God and every time you go to God, that He pardons us. He does not give me and you what we deserve. You know what I learned when we were missionaries in Cambodia? Karma is a lie. You know what karma is? That basically if you do good, you get good. You do bad, you get bad. It was horrible to watch a country living under that, under that oppression. Because the oppression said, I'm always living in this tension, this balance. I've got to do these things to try to appease the gods. Or something bad's going to happen to me. This is the, this is the freedom from that. It says that He pardons us, even though we don't deserve it. It's not a balancing act of good and bad. Some of you are living your lives, you you live your lives where you're just trying so hard to do good to somehow please this God, and you say, I can't ever do good enough to please Him. Here's the deal, you can't ever do good enough to please Him. Karma's a lie. You know what? God says, you messed up. But if you ask me, I'll forgive you. God forgives all who come to Him. Scripture says we deserve punishment but he gives forgiveness. If that's not something to thank God for every single day, um, I don't know what is. That's grace. That's undeserved favor. And I'm so grateful for his forgiveness because I, like every one of you, am guilty all the time because I continually make mistakes and mess up. So we need to thank God for his forgiveness. That every day, to think about the fact that, you know what? I didn't, 
you know, there's things I did today and I'm going to do tomorrow that I'm not going to measure up and God's going to say, you know what? I love to forgive you. He pardons us. He does not treat us as we deserve. Isn't that amazing? Amazing that God would do that. What's the next kernel of corn, the third kernel of corn on the plate? This is one that you may think is kind of odd. But in thinking about it, what am I so grateful for? This one I, I couldn't get past. And it's this, it's conviction. But the next thing that I thank God for is conviction. That may seem a little odd thing to thank God for, but it's one of the greatest and most merciful gifts that God gives his followers, is conviction. See, the Holy Spirit, the Bible tells us, brings conviction into our lives. He points out things in our lives that don't line up with godliness. And he makes us uncomfortable when we live out, when our lives are lived out of sync with what's best for us. That's conviction. He's trying to say, listen, I'm going to stir you up. I'm going to make you feel uncomfortable. I'm going to point out this thing. Not because he's somehow being mean, but he's saying, that's not best for you. That's not right. There's something better. That's conviction. And conviction has a purpose. The purpose that God, by his spirit, comes in our lives and stirs those things up inside of us is to cause us to do something the Bible calls to repent. Which simply means to change our mind or our direction. He's saying, I want, you're going this way, but I want you to go that way. That that's what he's trying to get us to do. That conviction has a purpose. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10, it says this about conviction. It says, for godly sorrow, which is conviction, it's how he brings godly sorrow. For godly sorrow produces repentance, leading to salvation, not to be regretted. For godly sorrow produces repentance, leading to salvation, not to be regretted. See, conviction, he's saying, is a gift. God wants us, he wants you, to move forward in your life. The Bible says God takes us from glory to glory. He wants, he wants always something better for every one of us. God wants us to move forward. God wants us to, to get better, to be healthier, to be stronger. So the Holy Spirit shines his light into our lives, maybe onto an activity or to an attitude that, that's, that's holding you back. It might be something you hold on to really strongly because it's something that maybe identifies who you are. You're, you know, you're, you've lived your whole life and people know you as that. But God is saying, you know what, I want you to let that go because I have something so much better for you than that. He says, that's holding you back. So he brings conviction. He says, it's time to change that. He wants you to grow past it to overcome, to make you better, to make you more whole. Conviction is that part of that process of helping you become more like Jesus. And here's, here's what we have to understand about conviction. If you want to grow and be mature and thrive in your spiritual life, is what God wants for you, is that when you feel conviction, thank God for it. We're talking about giving thanks for things. Thank God for it and respond. You know what we normally do? We feel it and we run. I've seen multiple times in churches over my life. Now, I'm not doing this to point the finger. I'm not talking about anybody in this place, honestly, God, truth. Where I preach about something, and I, always, I made a promise when I first started pastoring, I would never one time use the pulpit, the sermon, to ever deal with something particular about a person's life or a situation in the church. And I never have, 25 years. I've never done it. I don't ever speak about something. 
But there's times that I know a person's life, and I'll identify it when I'm preaching about something, and something maybe hard and convicting, and I've watched people squirm in their seats. I've walked, watched them literally jump out of their chair and run out the back of the sanctuary and stand out of the sanctuary. And I honestly believe they don't even realize what they're doing. But here's the deal. It's conviction of the Holy Spirit, not conviction of Pastor Mark. I don't have the ability. I can give you, I can guilt you, and I try to never do that. Honest God truth, I try to never use guilt as a motivator because it doesn't work. But the Holy Spirit can bring conviction into your life. And it doesn't have to come through a pastor. It can come through a hundred other ways, but the Holy Spirit brings conviction. And I've watched people literally run away. I've had people go like this, literally. No, 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 I don't want to hear it. They said it to me. <laughs> they put their fingers in the guy, I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. And I go, are you really doing that? It's because that's a natural reaction to the very greatest gift of conviction that God gives us because he's saying, I want to make you whole. You know what holiness is? Holiness is becoming whole. I want to make you whole. And so my, my hope for you is that when you feel conviction, when I feel conviction, that we'll thank God for it and we'll respond. That we don't fight it, we don't deny it, that we respond to the loving voice of the Holy Spirit and say, God, make me better. We still have two more kernels on our plate. The next one, number four. The next thing, if I was picking up the kernel off the plate, that I'd have to say, God, I want to, be, I want to just give thanks to you for this. This is one that affects our everyday life. Very practical. Is I thank God for his wisdom. See, we live in a world of unknowns. Maybe more than any other culture ever, we think we can control what happens in our lives and in our world around us. Newsflash, we can't. We live in a world of unknowns. What's going to happen to the stock market next year? I don't know. Who will be the next president? Republican, Democrat, Tea Party, Independent? I don't know. Will there be an election? I don't know. Will you have your job in five years? I don't know. We have it in five months. 2009, a whole bunch of people, 2009, 2010, something they never thought would ever happen. All of a sudden, boom, unemployed. I don't know. Will you have the money to pay for your kids to go to college? I don't know. Will you have the money to pay for your kids to go to the dentist next week? I don't know. Should I get married? Who should I marry? If I marry this person, will they stay faithful to me? All these things that are unknowns. We live in a world filled with unknowns. Matter of fact, everything is unknown. We think we know, but we really know nothing. Everything is unknown. We don't know if we have breath in our lungs in ten minutes. We don't know. But here's what I do know. If you live in the world of unknowns, by your own limited understanding and wisdom, then this world is a very scary place. If you've got to figure it all out on your own, by your own limited, we're all limited, no matter how smart you really think you are, I really think I am, if we live our lives by our own limited understanding, then this world is a scary place and should be a scary place. Because what if we make the wrong decisions? What if we make the wrong choice? But God gave us an incredible promise. 
a promise. Matter of fact, I don't know if there's a promise that's more peace generating than this promise from God's Word. In James chapter 1, verse 5, he gives a promise. He says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives to all men generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. What a promise. If any of you lacks wisdom, doesn't know what to do, doesn't know how to handle the situation, let him ask God, who gives to all men generously and without reproach, and wisdom, it, will be given to him. God promises to give us the wisdom that we need to live this life of walking with him when we ask it. And interestingly, friends, he doesn't just give us wisdom. You know, it's not Aesop's fables kind of wisdom. He doesn't just give us wisdom. He gives us his wisdom. Eternal, divine, knowing the beginning from the end, knowing what's going to happen tomorrow kind of wisdom. That's the wisdom that God gives to those who ask him who are his followers. See, church, here's what I found about living a a healthy, holy, happy life. You don't have to be a genius to succeed in this world. You don't have to be a, a genius to make right decisions. You simply need to function according to the wisdom of God. His wisdom is always right and is always best. And let's understand that the primary way that He communicates His wisdom to us is through His Word. So if you want to be secure in a world of insecurity and unknowns, then live by God's wisdom from His Word. I tell people, I don't know how many times I've told people in life, just follow the book. Just follow God's plan. Follow His wisdom and it works out. That's something to be thankful for every single day. Because every single day we live in a world of unknowns. And when you can wake up in the morning and you've got a situation in your life, you've got to, you've got to make decisions today. You run a company. You work in a place. You've got to raise kids. and You don't have a clue what to do. It's wonderful to say, God, I don't have a clue what to do. I tell God that all the time. God, I don't have any idea what to do, but you do. I need your wisdom, God. That's something to be thankful for every single day. It just brings peace into your life. God will give you the wisdom you need if you seek him for it. You don't need to be anxious. It eliminates anxiety. I can rest in the fact that God will give me the wisdom that I need to make the right decisions. That's a pretty important kernel on the plate, isn't it? Ready for the last kernel? Kernel number five. Again, something that is applicable to our everyday life that will change how you live every day when you embrace it and you thank God for it and you celebrate it and you understand it. And it's this. Be thankful for God's patience in your life. You know what? We're all works in progress. And even if you have been walking with the Lord for a long time, you still have a lot of growing and changing to do. We all do. And I'm so thankful that God is patient with us while we're in the process of becoming. Philippians 1.6 gives us incredible comfort. It says, For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. Look at that. I'm confident of this thing, very thing, 
that he, which is God, who began a good work in you, it's a good work, he's making you beautiful and wonderful when you cooperate with him, will complete it, he'll perfect it, all the way until the day that Jesus comes. God's not done with you and me yet. And here's the deal. You're aware very much of what's going on in your life. You're aware very much of how God's trying to work in your life, and a lot of times we don't cooperate with the Spirit, and we bristle and we fight and we stumble and we fall. Here's the deal. God doesn't get frustrated with you. You ever thought about that? God's not frustrated with you and your journey. He doesn't give up on you when you fail. And when you fail again, and you fail again, and you fail again. He doesn't. God's not frustrated with you. Remember back when we started in the very beginning talking about the love of God, the description of God's love in 1 Corinthians 13? It says something amazing about God. It says God is patient. Love is patient. And this is such good news. God's not frustrated with you. He's, he began a good work in you, and He's going to keep helping you until the day that Jesus returns. And I'm awful thankful for that because I still have a long way to go and so do you. If we would spend time, this lifestyle of thankfulness, a lifestyle of thankfulness, how happy and healthy would we be if each morning we thank God because He is loving and He's forgiving and He's convicting and He's wise and He's patient. These are things that every one of us can be thankful for every single day. They don't change with the economy going up and down. They don't change with you getting a day older every day. They don't change when, you, when life doesn't go the way you want it to go and you don't get the sleep you should get. These are the most important things that we need every single day. And I just challenge us that we just came out of Thanksgiving. Let's let this launch us into a lifestyle that is filled with giving thanks to God for His goodness in our lives. Amen? We're going to end by singing. I know we don't normally do that. We're going to end by singing a song of thanksgiving to the Lord. So would you stand with me this morning? I want us to express our thankfulness to God this morning. Now, I know we just come through the Thanksgiving season. But today, I want us to express from our hearts just how thankful we are to God for who He is and what He's done in our lives. Let's just begin right now to cultivate a lifestyle of giving thanks. Let's then carry us through the week and through the months and through the year. Amen? Let's sing together.